Please join with me in prayer. Father, we look to You. And as You sent the Lord Jesus, He is sending us. Help us to be faithful. Help us as we consider this portion of Your Word from the Gospel of John. And we ask that You would help us uh, not only to understand it, but to obey it. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. If you're visiting with us, it's our uh, practice typically to uh, work through books of the Bible. And we have been in the Gospel of John for quite some time. And uh, we are now um, here in verses 19 through 23 of chapter 20. I assume that many of you can remember September 11th, 2001. On September 11th, 2001, I was in the church office at New Covenant Presbyterian Church in Aiken, South Carolina. I was serving as the associate pastor. One of the members of the church called and told us to turn on a television because the plane had hit one of the Twin Towers. So I went down to the fellowship hall and I turned on the television At this point, I was assuming it was a small private plane. Uh, I assumed uh, it was an accident. Within a couple of minutes of turning on the television, a second plane struck the other tower. It took my mind a few moments to process what I had just witnessed. And I realized very quickly this could not be an accident, and that was a passenger jet that they had video of hitting that tower. My mind couldn't put all the pieces together. At that point, I unplugged the television. I rolled it down the hall into the church secretary's office um, so that uh, the secretaries could watch as well. At this point, I at least knew that we were watching uh, history unfold. I didn't know what was happening, but I knew this was something a major event. I can't remember uh, if it had been officially called an attack on our country. Um, By the time that I plugged the television back in, but when the third plane hit the Pentagon about a half hour later, I was certain that our country was under attack. Even though I was witnessing all this, it seemed all rather far away. It seemed like it was just another tragedy that was happening in one of the cities in our country. But I was having a hard time seeing this as a personal event for me that was going to greatly shape and form my life. But then when I saw that first tower collapse, they say it happened at 959 Uh, that morning. Then it all became very personal and real. It was soon after daybreak when Mary Magdalene came rushing into the room where Peter and uh, John were staying. 
And this was on that Sunday morning after Jesus had been crucified that uh, previous Friday. And she announced to them that someone had taken the body of Jesus from the tomb. So Peter and John, we saw last week, they raced to the tomb. John being quicker than Peter, he uh, beat Peter there, but he hesitated at the the door of the tomb, while Peter being Peter, being impulsive, he ran straight in without even pausing. Uh, but when John entered the tomb and he saw the grave clothes laying there, he records for us that at that moment he believed. We don't hear anything about Peter's response. Now after they returned from the tomb and went back to their room, their discussion must have been lively. And then surely they went and met with the other nine disciples and they began to discuss this with them. Shortly after that, Mary Magdalene came bursting in again. And she, was, she announced that she had seen the Lord and that she had talked to Him. And so He was no longer, she was telling Him, He was no longer dead, but alive, that He had risen from the grave. Now, we don't know the exact reaction of the, the disciples, but we do know that their reaction uh, was led to some distress. Uh, it must have, must have been a hopeful belief that was mixed with confusion and fear. They concluded that the Jewish authorities would also discover that Jesus' body was missing, and so they thought that they would, the Jewish authorities would likely be coming to arrest them. And uh, so they locked themselves in the room. The day wore on. Presumably no one went outside. At least ten hours passed, maybe twelve, because it was at daybreak when Mary Magdalene first discovered the, the uh, open tomb, the empty tomb. And it's now coming up on evening. You know, most of us who watch the events of September 11th unfold, we most likely um, move through a whole range of comprehension and then emotion. Certainly that was my experience. I began to comprehend a little bit more and a little bit more as the events unfolded and certainly went from uh, awe and and um, curiosity to... Uh, Horror to uh, to anger, and um, the these disciples. I don't know if they. I'm sure they didn't experience the same range of emotions that I did, but it, surely it was a similar experience as they tried to grasp what was happening. Peter and John go to the open tomb. They don't see anyone there, but they see the folded grave clothes, and John believes. And then Mary comes back and says, I've seen the Lord. I've talked with Him. He is risen from the dead. And so they're trying to comprehend, trying to process this. And uh, as I said, it's now into the evening. And then all of a sudden, 
two other disciples. They weren't among the band of eleven disciples, but two other disciples burst into the room. And we read about this in Luke 24. And they announced that they had walked along the Emmaus Road with Jesus. That He had eaten dinner with them. And so they began telling the disciples about this. But none of the eleven disciples have as of yet seen the risen uh, Savior. Only Mary... And we also learn from Mark and Luke and, and uh, Matthew's account that Mary was accompanied with another Mary, um, Mary the mother of James, and then there was another lady named Joanna that was also with her. So these three ladies and these two disciples walking along the Emmaus Road, those are the only people who as of this point have seen uh, the risen Savior. And I can understand how the eleven disciples must have been struggling with all this. I imagine that they, after hearing Mary, hearing these other two disciples, I imagine they had come to believe that Jesus indeed rose from the dead. But their minds were probably having a hard time catching up with, with what they were hearing at, uh, at Rip's viewing. Uh, last uh, Friday night, um, I was speaking to Warren Bridgman and I commented that I hadn't been able to fully grasp that I would never be able to talk to Rip Darden again. It was just something that, you know, I knew it. I saw Rip there in the casket. Um, but I was, I was struggling with that just a bit. And, and uh, Warren told me that that was normal. He began, as you know, Warren, um, he knows quite a lot of stuff. And so he began to, pro, uh, to explain to me the physiology of the, the human mind and, and how it deals with grief. And dealing with grief is indeed a process as our minds come to terms with it. And so these disciples, surely they are dealing with some kind of similar process. Um, as they were coming to grasp the reality that Christ had risen from the dead, so I guess it was they were they were experiencing the process in reverse <laughs> because he's, you know they're learning he's come back from the dead. I'm taking a long time to get where I'm going, so I apologize for that. What I'm driving at is that in some sense uh, we're at a similar place that disciples were in the upper room before Jesus appeared. You know, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, we know, and let me say we with emphasis on know, we know that He is alive. Yet we have not seen Him face to face. And in some sense, our minds can struggle to grasp it, even though we believe. And that's normal. God has made Himself real to us, even though we haven't seen Him face to face yet. Um, and won't see Him until we die or until He comes back. But He's made Himself real to us uh, through His regenerating power, raising us from spiritual death into spiritual life by His Holy Spirit's presence with us. The Holy Spirit has made His heart or our heart, His home. Through answered prayer, all of us 
have got, have had God answer prayer uh, for us that, humanly speaking, could not uh, and would not have otherwise happened. Uh, we also, God has made Himself uh, real to us through His Word, the Bible, as His Word speaks into our souls. Uh, that's how I became a Christian, reading the Scriptures. And God was showing me about Myself as He was also showing me, teaching me and speaking to me about Himself in the Word. So He makes Himself real to us through, through His Word, the Bible, speaking into our souls and through the encouragement also of the body of Christ. All these things God uses to make Himself very real to us even though we have not seen Him. You know, speaking for myself as a Christian, I know my Redeemer lives. I would have to um, to renounce everything I believe to be true about the world, everything true about myself, if I were to renounce my faith in Jesus Christ. My whole worldview is wrapped up with the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that He is alive and sitting at the right hand of God, and that His Holy Spirit is uh, living in my soul. But I've never seen the resurrected Lord face to face. And I believe at some level my mind struggles to grasp it moment by moment. Because I see the things that I see. I experience the things that uh, are before me. As I said before, we will not we will not see Jesus face to face until we get to heaven. He's not going to suddenly appear in the room with us like he did with the disciples. So then the question is, how can we condition our minds, weak as they are, conditioned as they are, to see and grasp um, the reality that is before us um, that we can see? How how can we condition our minds to grasp the reality that we believe to be true? And that's simple. God has given us the means of grace. First, if you want your minds to catch up with your faith, so to speak, read your Bibles every day. And read your Bibles prayerfully. Speak to God about what you're reading in the Scriptures. Don't just go through the motions to check the box that you did your duty. Oh, I've read a devotion today. Check. No. Read the Scriptures personally, prayerfully, um, relationally with God. And as you listen to God, speak to Him about what's going on in your heart. Um, And as you do that, your mind certainly will grasp more and more the presence of God. Second, be around the body of Christ. Christians are by definition called out of the world into the body of Christ. If I may be a little bold, there are some of you here this morning that only come on Sunday morning for the worship service and then you walk out the door and then we don't see you until 11 o'clock the next Sunday morning. I appreciate your attendance. I I really do. But you are shortchanging your faith 
by not being deeply connected to the body of Christ. We need each other. That's the way God has wired the church. That's the way God has wired Christians. We need the mutual encouragement. We need the mutual accountability. We need the, each other to build each other up um, in, in Christ. You're putting yourself in a position of weakness. You're putting yourself in a position to struggle when it comes to living moment by moment with the awareness of the presence of God in your life or in your family if you are not gathering regularly with the body of Christ. The encouragement of the body of Christ is not optional. It's essential. So I'm moving beyond just encouraging you um, to, to come to our small groups or to our Wednesday fellowship meal or to get together with other believers uh, in the congregation, whether it be the Band of Brothers Bible study or the choir. I know that you know, we call it the choir and it's a service ministry, but it's also a small group where you can join with each other in fellowship. And I know how important um, uh, those relationships are within the choir. Frankly, Dale, I, I love and appreciate deeply your leadership of the choir um, because of the relationships there in the choir. Um, so I am I'm moving beyond simply encouraging you, I am exhorting you. Be involved in the body of Christ for the good of your soul and for the growth of your faith. And as you do that, uh, your mind, as I say, will it will be catching up with your faith and uh, you'll be growing stronger in the Lord. Now, the disciples... They had a significant advantage over us because they saw our risen Lord face to face. Look at our text, verses 19 and 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side... And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I mean, that's, that's just awesome. The Lord appeared to the disciples. He says to them, um, He says, Peace be with you. He um, showed them His hands, His side. Verse 21, the first part of verse 21, He says to them again, Peace be with you. He wants them. You know, they've been distressed. It's been a long day. It has been a harrowing day. The stress of wondering what's going on. The stress of possibly being arrested and accused of stealing the body of Jesus. He says, peace. And then He says to them again, peace. But then He doesn't just leave them there. Look at what He says in, in verse 21. After He says, Peace be with you, He says, As the Father has sent Me, even so I am sending you. Oh. Well, you know, he's, he's giving them peace, but then He's saying, I am sending you just as the Father sent Me. How did the Father send Jesus? He sent Him out into the world to preach. He sent Him out into the world where He would suffer 
Remember, as we went through John 14, 15, 16, even in chapter 17, He's praying for them, and He's, he's telling them, you're going to suffer. If they treated me badly, they're going to treat you badly as well. As the Father sent me and I suffered, so you're going to suffer. But He's sending them not to die on the cross. He is sending them to preach the Gospel. In other words, the first things out of His mouth after telling them peace a couple of different times, He is giving them the Great Commission. Uh, we know from Matthew 28 that in the time, the 40 uh, days that He spent with them after um, His resurrection, before His ascension, He gave them the Great Commission. He taught on it extensively. But here, one of the first words out of His mouth when He appears to them after His resurrection, He says, As the Father has sent Me, even so uh, I am sending you. And that command goes beyond them and it comes to us as well. Because He was giving that to the apostles of the church in order that they might be the foundation, in order that they might teach us that we are to go as well. And I am so thankful for the ways in which our congregation, frankly, has grown in this area of evangelism and our willingness to go. Uh, many of you have been out doing cold turkey evangelism. I know many of you are sharing your faith with your neighbors. I know many of you are taking opportunities and making opportunities to share the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is so encouraging. Because if we are not sharing our faith and just being a holy huddle here within the walls of this church, we are dying a slow death. Jesus Christ died on the cross and He redeemed us for Himself, but He sends us as the Father sent Him. And so I want to encourage you or exhort you, if you are not sharing your faith, if you are putting your uh, light under a bowl, you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. In whatever way that God gives you, share your faith. In whatever way, in whatever situation you're in, whether you're a high schooler or elementary age or uh, at the height of your career or uh, retired or even a shut-in, find ways to share your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says so as the Father sent me, so I send you. Here's the beauty of you sharing the, your faith. Not only, well, the glory of God, of course, but also you're going to grow in your faith. As we're talking about our mind catching up to our faith, as you're sharing your faith, it's, it's like you're exercising your faith. And as you're sharing your faith, you want to study the Scriptures so that you can give an answer for the reason uh, for your hope in Jesus Christ. And as you're uh, sharing your faith, you're going to be praying for that person. You're going to be praying for yourself as well in your, uh, your efforts for evangelism. Lord, help me to open my mouth. Lord, help me to be clear. And, and, and as you are exercising your faith, your mind begins to catch up with your faith. In other words, 
Sharing your faith is beneficial for you spiritually. And then Jesus says, verse 22, And when He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. There's a lot here that we talk about. I'm going to uh, not talk about uh, verse 23 uh, this week, but uh, I simply want to uh, highlight for you that uh, what Jesus is doing is He's giving them the keys to the kingdom. And we could look at that from uh, Acts uh, 6, I mean Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. But um, He is... these disciples are going to be out preaching the Word of God. They're going to be writing the Word of God. He's giving them the Holy Spirit in order that they would have His Word. The Holy Spirit lives in us, of course, and you have His Word, the Scriptures. That's really what evangelism is. It's telling people from the Bible that God loves them, so much that He sent His only Son to die for them and that He gives them life uh, and a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. And He changes them when He gives them that life. And um, and that's essentially the Gospel. So you have everything you need in order to... Um, to to share your faith and to preach. Uh, or if we could go to Matthew uh, chapter 28, Jesus says in the beginning of the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to you so that you can make disciples. And then He says at the end of the Great Commission that He's going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. So everything you have that you need to share your faith and everything you need to grow in your faith. Jesus Christ has given you. He has abundantly given you. You are not uh, ill-equipped in any way by God. And so, look to Him. Let me encourage you. Grow in your faith. Take the steps necessary to grow in your faith. Read the Scriptures prayerfully, relationally with God. Gather with the body of Christ. Share your faith. And you'll be amazed how your faith grows and how you will grow spiritually and even how your mind uh, begins to grasp uh, the reality more and more of Your life with Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we worship Christ for His glorious resurrection from the dead. And we thank You that in His resurrection He did not leave the church uh, alone to itself. But in coming back to meet with the disciples, He was coming back to meet with us as well and remind us that He is always with us, even to the end of the age. Lord, I pray for Your saints here at Westminster.
Help us all to grow more and more in our faith and in our comprehension of the fact that You are with us and that You are the risen Lord. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen.